Front and Nationwide is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Blue Jackets tickets tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. This isn't just for Blue Jackets tickets, though. Browns, Bengals, Reds, Indians, Crew, you name it, any Major League sport, any Major League team, GameTime is your app for last-minute, highly discounted tickets. Head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to Front End Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. And this is a special edition podcast, the 2010's Decade in Review the 10 most important moments for the Blue Jackets since 2010. It's hard to believe, Allison, that 2019 is almost over. I have been preparing for 2020 for a while <laughs> now. Is this the year that my daughter graduates from high school? That's, I just remember that seeming so far out there. Well, what a great year to graduate from high school, 2020. Um, yeah, this thing's almost wrapped up the decade, and it's been a very interesting decade for the Blue Jackets. We're going to go through uh, what we deem to be the 10 biggest moments, 10 most important moments for the Blue Jackets since 2010. And Allison, you were sort of hinting at the, before we came on here, that there may be some disagreements here. I I have some objections. I'm not going to lie. This is outrageous. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, so let's go through them. And I, I think just for a broad look at this decade, boy, it started... With some really lean oh, years indeed. there. I mean, you think about um, they made the playoffs for the first time in 08-09 and then fell back into a, a terrible funk. There were protests out front of the building, a group of people wanting change at the top. They ended up getting it. Uh, they switched GMs. They switched GMs uh, in 2013, lots of the front office turned over. Players came and, and went. Of course they did. Uh, but there was a, a, a rebuild and a reshuffle in there. But you know what's interesting? If you look back, and I know there's some frustration with the way that the Blue Jackets are playing right now. Um, in 13-14, they make the playoffs. They miss the playoffs the next two years. Since then, I think probably – Easily to easy to say these last three years have been the best years in franchise history the, in terms of a group of years together. Oh, totally. I mean, it's it's crazy when we look at what had been right and and all the the great new fans who've come on board due to the success may not know <laughs> the things that went on to to see where they are and and the change that happened. I mean. Those times were lean, lean times in Columbus Blue Jacket land. Hopeless times, it seemed. It does. It does At indeed. Times. Yeah, and the players were just coming and going. There's no traction. There's no direction. Where? What is going on here? 
and now it feels like you know they they, they have some needs for sure but but uh, it has been this the uh, franchise has steady so let's go through this list and we're going to start with number 10 um, the 10 most important moments of the last decade for the Blue Jackets at number 10 the Blue Jackets select who <laughs> this was the this is the 2016 draft and the whole world I think was convinced uh, that Austin Matthews Austin Matthews would go number one Patrick Laine would go two and then that leaves of course Jesse Pugliarvi for the Blue Jackets at three so who will Edmonton take four and then Yarmo Kekalainen gets to up to the podium, turns it over to the great Billy Siren, who announces that the Blue Jackets have drafted Pierre, Luke, Dubois, Allison. Your response, the crowd's response, <laughs> when the surprising draft pick was made. Well, it's funny because I was uh, with the, the team site then. And so I was sitting next to the illustrious Rob Mixer, who was there at the time. And, and he kind of said, I think they're going to go off the board. And I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. And the gasp, I mean, the audible gasp that went up um, and, and just the, the blasting. I remember, I remember everyone just blasting Yarmo, particularly for drafting for position. It was perceived he was drafting for position over talent. That was the big ding, right? Because right. the Blue Jackets needed a center. So he was just taking a center instead of the most talented player, which is, of course, a hallowed draft strategy. And, and then Dubois doesn't even make the team the first year and then when he gets to the team right. he doesn't even play center at, at first right he's playing on the wing um right so yeah that was that that might actually be a top 10 draft moment over the past decade to be honest well and what an awful thing for the kid he's oh. he has used this as motivation through the years and we've talked to him about this i mean here's one of our probably the most exciting professional moment of your life if you don't win a stanley cup right you've been drafted and three overall, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and instead of, yeah, woo, it was, oh. Right. And there were boos. There were even boos. Right, right. Like, wow. What I've always thought interesting, Allison, and we could go on all day, but I love drafts in any sport. I love the idea of them. I love the mechanics of them. But what I always find interesting is is if you're busy covering the National Hockey League, as, as we are and many other people are lucky to be, um, you don't see – any of these kids other than YouTube clips and highlights, right? Right, right. So now there's a lot of great people who do. Bob McKenzie does an incredible job, is super passionate about it. There are lots of other people out there that are really into this. So they say Austin Matthews is awesome. Patrick Laine is probably right there with him. And then everyone agrees Pugliarvi's number three. So those guys have seen these guys play a bunch. There are a ton of people who have never seen any of these kids play. It never heard their names probably until March, April, May, whatever who suddenly are opining right. <laughs> on what a horrible pick. Right. How stupid the Blue Jackets are. What an idiot Yarmo Kekalainen is. You're like, okay, hang on a second. Like, he's actually seen them play. I'm not saying he's always right. Right. He's not always right. No one ever is always right. But you haven't seen any of them play, and you're just lobbing mortar at, at a guy who has seen them play. Um, and there are people writing that weekend, oh, my God, when Pulley Yarvey scores 45 goals on, on Connor McDavid's wing, this is just going to be awful. And, of course, now in retrospect, we can say, that's a pretty good pick. Mm-hmm. Good pick. Yeah. A uh, good pick by Yarmo. I mean, and let's be honest, Dubois probably, and I may get some heat for this, I think right now he's playing like a 
mid-range number one center on a really good team. I think he's sort of established himself there. I don't think he's, he's not a superstar at this point, a Matthews type superstar. He isn't. No. But he's damn sure a better pick than Pugliarvi would have been. Yeah. And and to that point, though, I don't think this is the ceiling of of where his game goes. I mean, not at all. the, The step even that he's taken from last season to this in his individual play is what gets me excited about what he can do year over year, right? It's yeah, not and sure. so I I agree with you where you're placing him now, but it, this is this is his third year in the league for goodness sake and he's not even 25 for so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and and I do love I I do love when he let it drop. I think it was last year, right, that there are some tweets that are about this that he he has looked at in the past yeah. uh, right. for some motivation and you just I just love that little detail about the whole thing. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I mean, he's probably going to be a 25 goal guy. Yeah. I would I would think. Yeah. Not a 50 goal guy. No. But a 25 goal guy, but he has elements to his game that are are going to be game affecting elements whether he's scoring or not. Completely. I mean, look, not every number one center, there are not 31 number one centers across the league who are all the exact same player, right? right. And and right. I think you, you hit it on the head. This is this is not an Austin Matthews, but this is a kid who's pretty darn special in his own right. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the number nine most important moment in the history of the Blue Jackets, well, the last 10 years of the Blue Jackets, is a trade. <laughs> uh, Jeff Carter to the Los Angeles Kings for Jack Johnson. We go from highs uh, to lows. <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. Well, the low would have been right. the trade to acquire Jeff Carter. Right. <laughs> Jeff Carter. <laughs> Huh. And if I need to remind, uh, that was Jake Voracek in oh. a first-round pick who was spent on Sean Couturier. Twisting the knife, you are. Well, you know, I mean, just for point of reference, as my former colleague likes to say. And 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 let's—I'll be honest. When they made that Jeff Carter trade, it was at the draft in Minnesota. I was like, hell yeah, that's a great trade. They finally have the number one center that they need. Rick Nash pulled off the road, right? Wasn't that the detail? He was so excited to hear. He pulled off the road. He was driving. I mean, it, it was the guy that they've always wanted. If right. you remember in 08, 09, when the Blue Jackets made the playoffs, Manny Malhotra was Rick Nash, nothing against him, but he right. was Rick Nash's centerman. Right. Um, I mean, instead of firing Ken Hitchcock the next year, they should have probably realized that that <laughs> roster had almost no business making the playoffs right um anyways so they had to get rid of carter because carter was miserable in columbus everybody knew it um he his the way he acted behind the scenes was just appalling it never really surfaced he was always decent to deal with but boy the people here were were just beside themselves with the way he handled himself um so the blue jackets needed to flip him and flip him they did now this is at the point uh, in 11-12, when they're just way out of it, and it, it's it's one of those teams, it just it, it's worse than not being a good team. It's having talent right. and playing like crap, which was just it, it was so gross the way that that team played so far below its talent level. Yeah. Anyways, it was a lost season when they traded Jeff Carter to the Kings for Jack Johnson, and I will never forget Jack Johnson's attitude. When he came here yep, yep. from the Kings, who would go on to win the Stanley Cup, and he didn't care. He wanted to be part of this here. Yep, yep. It was, it's, 
you know, it was so, you're right, the, the fan excitement going into that year. I mean, there were fans saying, this is our year and all this kind of stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget, too, that Jeff, the trade went down the night that the Blue Jackets had a fan autograph event. And so Jeff Carter went from autographing stuff on the on the event level to leaving the arena and literally leaving Columbus. But then Jack Johnson comes into that game. He hadn't even cleared his medical or, or whatever it was that he had to do, but he came to the game, sat. Was he in the press level or on the suite level? I forget. I think but, it was press level. But, but was introduced at a stoppage, stands up, waves, smiles. He's immediately at every event in the community. He's at the bartending events. He's at the, the service events. And, and the fans desperately needed that, that infusion of belief and faith in in the franchise, and he just he he was the poster child for it. Yeah, and if you remember at the time, this was this was all swirling. Rick Nash had it had leaked that he had requested a trade after he found out the team was investigating what they might be able to get in in return for a trade for him. So you know the questions being asked were, how can Rick Nash still be your captain? How can a guy who has requested a trade right. still wear the C here? And they kept it there. I don't think they wanted it to get too messy. Jack Johnson came in, and he basically elbowed Nash out of the way and said, here's how we're going to do things the rest of the way. Yep. And so, and, and I don't want to spoil a future uh, pick here in the top 10, but all the changes that came later that summer, uh, and and they're largely credited with changing this team, Bobrovsky, Felino, uh, Dubinsky, all that stuff, and, and it is all there. But the guy who got here first and handled it right, the the right way first when there was really honestly no reason to handle it the right way the right. guy who did that first and best was jack johnson absolutely absolutely yeah uh so let's move on to number eight this is a much um up down uh, up down <laughs> yeah this is a much happier <laughs> topic you're up the and down like a toilet game, seat porty oh the 16 game winning streak which is just still to this day is amazing and it, to me, it harkens back to the the piss-offedness of that team, that 2016-17 team. It was coming off of two years where they were ugh, yeah, just really rough. Torts had taken over the year before after an 0-7 start. I think it was 0-8 by the time yep. they finally won. Yep. Uh, they had a huge chip on their shoulder, and it did not take long for that team to show it. Nope, and that it was it was the Sam Gagne magic on the power play. And, you know, it's, look, we're lucky to do what we do regardless. But that was such a crazy fun time to just be around such an experience, to be chasing literally an NHL record um, and fall just one game short of that. They now have the second longest win streak in NHL history, of course, only behind the Penguins um, from 92-93. But it was just, it was a really cool time. And I think, you know, we talk about, kind of things that pushed that pushed this club into that next level. And and this was one of them too. I think like you said there were, there were motivations about feeling undervalued, un, you know, low projections, but this was this was when the Blue Jackets truly started to make their presence known on the national hockey level for something other than bad news, right? I mean, this this yeah, was this ability, right? This was a, and it was related to hockey. It wasn't related to a front office move. It wasn't related to a trade. It wasn't related to a draft. This is what the team was actually doing on the ice. And for that reason, I think it was. I mean, it was great fun in and of itself. But I think it was a big deal in terms of perception and 
saying, oh, well, maybe there is a team in Columbus that we are now aware of, at least if we are in Toronto right. or wherever. Yeah, and that was that that streak included the ten nothing win over Montreal. Oh my goodness! Which is one of the more bizarre nights in Nationwide Arena. Where you're like, are they really chanting? We want they're, they're chanting. We want ten. <laughs> oh God, they're chanting. We want ten. There was a oh. I will that game is personified for me, and and if people want to look it up, I'll see if I can find it and I'll I'll tweet it out. But Josh Anderson is literally going for a change and just backhands the puck almost from the blue line. And it goes in like that was the way that night was going for the Blue Jackets. Right. It was crazy, crazy, crazy. And then I think the signature moment of that streak was the New Year's Eve game in St. Paul. Oh, yes. When they had won 14 in a row, the Wild had won 12 in a row. Uh, and oh, and it has it's thrown around a lot, way too much by people who don't know what they're talking about. When people start saying, oh, that was like a playoff game tonight. No, it wasn't. Right. It was right. not. That game was there. Because the Wild wanted it to get to 13. Yep. The Blue Jackets needed to get to 15. They were both sort of in pursuit of the same record, and that game was absolutely electric. The other memory I have is when on the night that the streak ended. Yep. And standing in the tunnel out of the uh, hallway that leads to the visitors' dressing room in Washington, and the players getting off the bus to arrive uh, to the game. And the sh- the number of uh, the amount of media mm. that was there, mm-hmm. there were some big eyes among the Blue Jackets. Like, holy smokes, this is a this is a deal now, right? Like TSN, Sportsnet, right? Um, Sports Illustrated, NBC News, ESP- ESPN gave a damn about hockey. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there were it was intense, and they they had to hold. They had to hold the uh, over the, the because of the overflow. They had to hold Tortorella's presser post and pre in a sort of an adjacent room wow because if they had it in the locker in the hallway nobody could get through yeah um and then they lose and it was you knew it was when it ended it was going to be brutal and it was five nothing loss january 5th and tortorella walked up to the podium and without even answering her question he said well that sucked <laughs> so good perfect so good yeah perfect yeah amazing uh, number seven, John Davidson takes over hockey operations. Now, Allison, this was a tough one for me to peg because I could not, um, I could not deem if this needed to be higher in the list or, or lower in the list. And it, it could, I, I could argue this could be as high as three or not on the list at all. But I think he played a, a huge part in this because of his persona. John Davidson taking over the Blue Jackets front office. Tell me more. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm now contemplating it, whether I agree where it is placed or not. I, you know, I would actually put it behind the win streak for the reason I just said, because it because the win streak was the on-ice product, finally, after non-on-ice moves. Um, but th- this was a big one. And I think what what maybe doesn't get talked about as much in this one is, I mean, Scott Housen helps bring him in. Right. Right. And that's right. Scott Housen basically knows that if he brings in John Davidson, he's going to get fired. He yes. knows that and think still that. and still makes the move that he thinks is right for the franchise. And I think when we look at the 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 win streak cemented this well didn't cement, but this that win streak brought the national eye to Columbus in a good way for the on ice product. 
this was such a huge stamp of validity for a franchise that desperately needed it in terms of NHL perception. I think yep. that rink, uh, trickles down to negotiations, to contracts, to free agency. It was huge. Even if John Davidson took no action, which he didn't, of course, he did much a lot of things. But just that is what this organization really needed at that time. Yeah, I think it was stability that they needed. For sure. I, it For was sure. a, a a revered voice. It was a presence in the front office. He hires Jarmo Kekalainen pretty soon after he takes over. Mm-hmm. They reshape things. It gave the GM a buffer between his seat and the ownership yep. seat, which they'd never had before. Yep. And it just calmed things down. If you think back to how toxic things were when that happened, when John Davidson came aboard, they needed somebody who could say to the fans, it's going to be okay. And the fans could say, I believe that. They needed somebody who could say, we're going to build this the right way and not have the fans' response be, holy crap, they've been building it for 12 years. Right? Right. It was sort of like, I believe this guy. I can be patient for him. And I I think that was really huge. Um, Side note, one of the prouder moments... (laughs) Uh, I've had doing this job is when my former colleague, Michael Ayres, and I, working at the dispatch, we caught wind that Davidson was out with the Blues or would be out with the Blues. We're thinking, my God, that just makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? So we start bulldogging the story. Ayres writes a column about, um, boy, John Davidson would be perfect for this job. It happens to run the day that John Davidson is in town. Coming for his interview, he walks downstairs at the hotel, grabs a newspaper from the front desk, tells me he opens it up, sees the story, and like looks around like, where are these guys? <laughs> like, holy smokes, this is these guys are on it. Like, he was looking in the shrubs for reporters. That's it funny. freaked him out a little bit because he thought it was right. totally under the wraps. Right. Anyways, uh, so that's number six, or seven. Two six, Ryan Johnson for Seth Jones. Ryan who? Ryan Johan- Did I say Johnson? Ryan Johansson <laughs> for Seth Jones. Um, very rarely does a team take a top five pick and trade him just a few years later. The Blue Jackets did for Seth Jones to Nashville an old school trade, one-on-one. Uh, we'll take your guy, you take our guy. They would do this trade again in a heartbeat, and it's really helped change the franchise, Allison. Oh, yeah, and I think it demonstrated – that Yarmo Kekalainen was here to play, right? I mean, yeah. this is when you started to see the balls on this guy to, to make that kind of a move, both in terms of the transaction, everything you mentioned, the, the height of the pick. I'll never forget that day that David Poyle was on a radio interview and gets pulled off the radio interview. And I'm literally going into a doctor's appointment and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God. And of course, I'm in there 10 minutes and everything starts happening. I literally had to cancel the doctor's appointment and leave. <laughs> but First things first, right? Well, I mean, really, who cares if I'm healthy? There's a trade that's going down. And, and then there were so many crazy wrinkles to that. The two, had, the two knew each other. They, they take The plane comes from Nashville with Seth Jones to pick up Ryan Johansson and take him to Nashville. The two meet in the airport, take a picture. The two live in each other's place for the balance of the season. <laughs> right. But... Uh, you know, I, I like, and this is no disrespect to Ryan Johansson. He is an incredible player as well. But Seth Jones is a foundational player and will be 
decades from now for, for Columbus. Yeah. I think if you look back on that trade from the Blue Jackets' perspective, trading Ryan Johansson to the Blue Jackets was very similar to the Boston Bruins trading Joe Thornton. Yep. Yep. And uh, to say nothing where this goes, um, who knows where it's going in the next decade here in Columbus with Seth Jones, but the decision was made that the the Blue Jackets didn't think they could be a Stanley Cup winning team with Ryan Johansson as their number one center. Mm-hmm. And with that skill set, he is going to be your number one center. Mm-hmm. So they made the call. And I, I love trades like this. They they pulled a defenseman out of Nashville that was not in their top four, believe it or not. Crazy. And he comes here and he's got a chance to really spread his wings and looks like a special special player. I don't. He's not having a great season so far this year, but he is a special, special player. He's a special player, player. absolutely. Uh, number five on the list, John Tortorella takes over as coach. Now, this is an interesting one, too. I don't think it's out of line. I, I think John Tortorella has brought to this team, and it's not going to last forever. Let's not be foolish about it. It's some Every coach goes, this guy's already in the, the top ten in Columbus in, right now for longevity with the team. In other words, I think only nine other bench coaches have been with their teams now longer than Tortorella is. That's how much turnover there is in the NHL. But I think I think what he has done here in Columbus, despite all the fireworks, all the silliness, all the stuff that, that, that happens, has been nothing short of remarkable. Absolutely. And I think, <clears throat> and you allude to this in, in the piece as well, but, you know, one of the things that, when you and, and I'll never forget, you wrote this piece at, at the dispatch the day that this went down. It may have been not the exact day, but you sought out former players for John Tortorella, just trying to find anyone who, who would, because we all know the reputation that precedes yeah. the man. Right. And you couldn't find one former player to, who spoke, spoke ill. And one of the themes that was mentioned so much right. was, was his def- defense of players, ability to protect the room, protect the individuals. And I, when we look at, again, this is a young club, an organization that's needed to solidify, I think under the radar, that might be one of the biggest things he's brought here is that when things are tough, guess who we're talking about all of a sudden for some reason? We're not talking about the yeah. players. We're talking about John Tortorella. Right. And uh, it, it's a very silky skill. Um, like you said, he won't be here forever. Um, but he, uh, yeah, just massive part of what's happened here. And I think I think there's a lot of, of um, misunderstanding. I think I think every player probably dislikes him at some point. Oh, sure. for sure, for sure. I think there are very few players that really really dislike him long term and never get over that. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time finding them. Right when I when I spoke to Vinny Prospel, now he's a passionate man, anyways. But it was rather. <laughs> It was awkward. We were in Minnesota, and Prospel's just going. And I said, I, Vinny, I think you're breaking up on me. And he says, no, I'm not. I'm crying. Wow. That's how worked up he got. Wow. This man has changed my life. Wow. And he goes on and on and on. Mark Denis, former goaltender with the Blue Jackets, is one of the guys that did not get along well with Tortorella at all in Tampa Bay. And I think if you talk to Mark Denis today, he puts a lot of that on himself. But, you know, again, this guy's not perfect. He can be a total a-hole, but he recognizes it. Yep, yep. <laughs> and there's more good than bad there. And what, however it goes on a daily basis, it's always, it's always interesting. Um, I think of all the myths that have built up around this guy. 
I mean, he's he's by far the most successful coach this team's ever had. Yep. He's top 10 in the NHL in terms of games coached, wins, uh, and all this, uh, all these people who think he can't coach, it's, it's like that, you know, go find another ridiculous argument because that one doesn't carry a ton of weight. Right. The guy's among the legendary coach, coaches in NHL history. So, uh, number four in the list. I object. Now we get, do you? Well, go ahead. You do your thing. <sighs> There's a caveat in the first paragraph there, Allison. Yeah, I still object. Uh, number four, Dubinsky and Felino. Key the first home playoff win. Now, let me read the first paragraph to take the starch out of your argument. <laughs> One could argue that Matt Calvert's double overtime winner in Game 2 versus Pittsburgh in 2014 should be one of the 10 mi- biggest moments. It I am was, the one. after all, the biggest first, the first, the Blue Jackets' first ever playoff win. You are one who could argue. Go ahead. Uh, okay, you can't, You first of all, now. And you've put the video in the post. You've written how the whole goal goes, how the whole series goes down with Dubinsky and Felino at home. And it was incredible. Mm -hmm. No question. However, that came after the game in Pittsburgh. And we all know how Columbus fans and Columbus feels about Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh, double overtime. And I was not there, but I was back in Columbus. And just the constant stress and drama that was building up with every second. And then for it to be Matt Calvert, a guy who was kind of seen with this class of of the Cam Atkinsons and and that group of players who came into this organization, fan favorite, of course, that was just a remarkable moment and the very first ever playoff win. That is why it should be in here, at least in addition to this win. I felt as though I could only pick one Fine. of those. And for me, it was the fact that probably 16,000 of the people in the building that night got to see their first playoff win with the Blue Jackets. It was the atmosphere to me that pushed it up and over. Oh, it was insane. Over that. So I, I just stood there and looked down in the crowd because I wanted to feel the crowd. Right. There were There were people taking pictures of the scoreboard. Oh, yeah. There were people hugging and then stepping back and being like, I'm sorry, I don't know you. That was awkward. <laughs> but I'm so happy. Right. Like, there was some crazy stuff. And the goal that, while the Felino shot, that's a terrible goal allowed by. He'll by admit Flurry. it. And, and, oh, and Felino will admit, yeah. You yeah. better. But the goal, the, the, the process of getting to that spot is um amazing yes yes uh the block shot by umberger was newski dives at the puck in the neutral zone umberger felino still jokes about this today makes a blind pass to right to felino right and then he scores from like 190 feet away like oh my god flurry what are you doing and the place it's so loud you can't hear the cannon it was unbelievable well so to me that's fine that's fine yeah we disagree. It, 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 it's a, it's an it's an error of omission by you. I say. Well, sound off in the comments, people. Wrong. Sound off in the yeah, comments. Go ahead, tee off. I can Team take it. Allison. Um, number three, Scott Housen's trade spree, twenty twelve. I feel as though sometimes Scott Housen is the forgotten man of what has occurred here the last few years. I get it. 
It was a long time ago he was let go. But I don't think you can look past what he did in the summer of 2012. Cleaning up his own mess, for sure. He was hired to clean up Doug McLean's mess. Yep. Then he had to clean up his own. He made the trade for Bobrovsky. Think about it. A second-round pick and two-fourths. Crazy. For a goaltender that would go on to win two Veznas. Nine days later, he acquired Felino from Ottawa for defenseman Mark Mathot. Felino's top five or ten in every offensive category this club has. He's the captain of the team. He's going to... Retire here is one of the more beloved athletes in Central Ohio, I think you can fairly say. Mm -hmm. That's an unbelievable trade. And he swung the trade. Um, That was a long time. The gestation period of that trade was like elephant-like to trade Rick Nash to the Rangers. And the return he got for that, Dubinsky, Anisimov, Erickson, and a first-round draft pick was better than anybody thought it could be. Uh, Nash needed to move on. Th- this team needed center depth, and the acquisition of Dubinsky and Anisimov gave them that. Dubinsky also for this team, he's hurt and hasn't played yet this season, but a, in terms of a s- super competitive guy, a character guy, uh, that was a huge get for them. Scott Housen, Allison Lukian. Yeah, I, I think that Scott Housen – Attention must be paid. And, you know, what I think is kind of neat is, and we know this, is that he is still in Nationwide Arena from time to time. Um, yep. And and you wonder what he thinks, right? I mean, he, he's not talked about a lot. He sees what this organization is now. He hopefully can see that he was part of that. But but I wonder what, what his what his thought, pro- thought process is or maybe will be when he reflects on things. Yeah. Um, but for, for a guy who... It, I even remember this. This is a little known tidbit. Well, not little known. It's a little known now. Remember when, and the Columbus is just scraping for any win they can get, and they go into L.A. and the clock malfunctions. Oh, gosh. And, and yes, LA, come, L.A. comes out and claims it's Columns, which and they had some big, crazy scientific mm, thing. That was Dean Lombardi specifically. And Scott Housen writes a scathing letter S- scathing and post it on the team website i mean that's fantastic that's fantastic. fantastic now he later had to take it down of course because this is the world we live in but um just a, a, all these things arguably as i look back on the list now a lot of these things don't happen with directly without scott hauslin yeah that was the second most scathing letter of the decade after alan walsh's takedown of oh. scott arneal for the way that Derek Broussard was able. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> anyway, that should have made it. We should have gone top 20 here. Top 10 oh, letters. Holy Top 10 Lord. letters. <laughs> top 10 letters written. Yeah. Oh, my word. Um, so, yeah. And and I've stayed in touch with Scott House, and I'll not share uh, the stuff that, that's not to be shared. He is one of the great gentlemen in this game. He is. He is. And you you mentioned it earlier. His, his The ownership comes to him and says, what do you think about John Davidson? And Scott Housen is smart enough to say, geez, if I hire a boss, I might be the first guy gone. And he puts that on the back burner and says, it's what's right for the organization. That's yep. what we need here. Yep. And he makes the move. He still is quite cordial to people who uh, replaced him here. He's, he's just a good guy. Still lives in Columbus and yep. works for the Edmonton Oilers. 
Um, and I don't think he carries a lot of a lot of um, a lot of am- animosity. What's the word animosity, enmity with him. He's pretty. He's a really good guy. Yep. Uh, number two on the list, the, the other GM, the most recent GM of the Blue Jackets, Yarmo Kekalainen's 2019 trade deadline. Now you'll recall from the previous seven here, this isn't just the best moments; it's the most important moments, and. Mike, I, we've never seen anything like this in Columbus. In the NHL, uh, most arguably. teams have. Most teams, well, I mean, back in the day, teams used to well. throw first round draft picks around like like parade float candy. <laughs> a post lockout, post lockout. That's yeah, and I mean, it, it's just still shocking to this to this moment to think. Okay, so they're going to hold on to Bobrovsky and Panarin. Fine. I thought they'd they'd hedge their bets and move one of them. Yep. Bobrovsky had the trade. Uh, the the trade freeze on his contract so that couldn't be done but to not only keep both of those guys but also trade first round draft picks for a center um two second round draft picks along with duclair for ryan Dezingle, a fourth round pick here a fifth round pick here they went all in uh as as a wise person said to me a month ago they went in. All, they went all in on three of a kind. <laughs> in true. other words, like you go all in if you're Tampa Bay or right. you're Pittsburgh that's won it before, and you're not sure how much longer your roster is going to make it. You go all in with Washington or these teams that that have been there, done that. To go all in on a team that's never won a playoff series that wasn't in the playoffs at the time that that those deals were made, Allison, it was shocking. I mean, I'll just, I'll never forget that day. And and we all just kept thinking, you know, for, you know, first, the first move they make is Adam McQuaid. So, or, so we're like, excuse me, not Adam McQuaid, uh, Keith Kincaid, they rhyme. Yeah. And we're, okay. so we're all like, okay, well, Bobrovsky's going then. And, and they just, they just kept adding and adding and adding and adding. Um, and it was such a crazy day. And, and the thing that I, I still say about that day and those moves, not just to show the current players that were there that the front office is invested in your success. If you can perform, they will give you a push. I think knowing what was about to happen with key players not sticking around, that's one heck of a way to send a message to the entire league of, if you come here, we're going to do as much, literally, as we can to get behind you to help you win. Um, I think that's a signal call that that might be an important little bit of marketing in the moment. If you're talking about you're going to have to add in right now players, um, I, I, I like it for that reason, too. It felt at the time reckless to me. Valid. I must say. And I wonder if the price for that won't be paid over these next few years. Um, yes. Because it those first-round draft picks... They're important for everybody. The currency of those, it's gone way up in the last, since the, since the, uh, the last lockout. Yep. It's like, people are like Taylor Hall and, and I'm all in on Taylor Hall. It's just, I'm not sure how you get Taylor Hall to Columbus, Ohio. And that says nothing about the city or the team. It's just a, it's, it's a hard sell for a team that, that hasn't done it before doesn't have a huge history all of these things you have to draft in columbus ohio and that, that i just wonder what these next few years might be like as they try to 
to keep it together and, and make the playoffs and have a run, they're going to need a difference-making player. I don't know where you get that right? other than to draft it. So I agree. We'll see. I agree. We'll see. I mean, I think the, the it was a, it was fun as hell. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it was a lot of fun. It, that's it, that's what every fan wants you to do at every trade deadline and every what? player in the room too. Well, that's Screw the, the draft picks. That's the thing. Like, okay, so to all, and for all the points you raised, which I totally agree with, what if they don't do that? What right. if they move Panarin, move what they can, yep. make a meager showing in the playoffs? And well, you'll what, never know. What's the what's the yeah. Yep, you'd never know. Right? So And Yarmo's fair when he makes that point. Like if he hadn't made a trade, if he had made all those moves and people would be saying, Wow, they just let those guys go and they never gave him a chance to really go for it. Right. That's fair as well. Uh number one, I I don't think this will get much argument. Maybe. I'll hold um what's that? I'm holding. Go. Oh, you can't see you can't stay in the drama. <laughs> the number one most important moment in Blue Jackets the last ten years here, a playoff series win. Finally. The twenty nineteen playoffs start with the number eight seed Blue Jackets. Uh, uh up against the unbeatable uh, Allison, no, no one's taking it. <laughs> no one's beating the lightning. No. I just it's a best of seven series. I just hope Tampa doesn't sweep Columbus in three. Right. Right. That was the feeling coming in. And I meant to say three. Um, that was that was the feeling. And then it's 3 nothing after the first period. And you're going, oh, my God. And people are saying, I just hope it doesn't get embarrassing for right. Columbus. Right. Right. And then tell us what happened. Well, and then they come out for the second. Sergei Bobrovsky makes that huge stop. Huge. On the penalty kill. And then... And it, it actually happens much later than I thought it did. But then they hold they hold serve for the bat for the majority of the period, and Nick Foligno scores a goal, and then Tampa Bay never scores another goal again that game. And unbelievable Columbus rolls. And I think, I mean, listen, and I'm I am sure there are people going to say, oh yeah, so your greatest accomplishment is a playoff round win. Like really, if it was just that, I mean, and yes, this organization needs to continue to do more, but. It wasn't just their first playoff round win. It was just a dominating win over the presumed Stanley Cup winning Tampa Bay Lightning. It was insane. Right. It was yeah. insane. And to, to that question, a playoff series win was – yeah, it was. Yep. It was. Yep. That's the reality. They yep. have, they've never won one before. It's always special the first time. Yep. Uh, they took out – I don't I, – I wrote this. I should know it. I should remember it. It's pretty rare – it's not that rare that an eight takes out a one. It's really rare that the team with the best overall record in the league gets bounced. The President's Trophy gets bank, bounced in the first round. That just doesn't happen. Right. Um, and, and my God, imagine if they don't win a playoff series because <laughs> then you've done you've 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 eaten right. two UFAs that are going to walk for free. You've traded first round draft picks. Wow. I mean, you know, they could they have gotten past Boston? Honestly, Boston felt to me like previous playoff series have where it just reached a point, probably game four, where you went, yep. I just don't see them getting up this hill. Yep. Uh, but for so many people who have watched this team for so long, just winning a playoff series and having that moment, especially that the moment occurred on home ice game yep. four, yep. was so special to so many people. Agree. Agreed. So there you have it, the 10... Most important moments of the decade for the Blue Jackets. Um, you would argue the Calvert piece in there. I would. The Calvert goal. I would. 
I might Fair. move JD. I might move the win streak up a little bit. I don't know. Huh. I'm sure the the readers and listeners have other opinions. We would love to hear them. Yeah, two things I would consider is the All Star Game. True, but not necessarily a team event. I mean, kind of, but yeah. not really. The league runs that, which you know people right. don't know that it's the. The city hosts, and the team does an extraordinary amount of work, but the league literally comes in and takes over the building, right down to the offices. Yeah. And it runs was, it. It was, it was great, though, in the sense that the whole league came and had a blast in Columbus. Remember the snow slide? What was that I, thing I, called? I forget the snow slide, yes. That thing was amazing. It was the beginning right of Winter Park. Right on Nationwide Boulevard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I would argue that, and, and just talking about it again, I'm reminded that I don't know that it, I don't know that it changed too much immediately, but the fan protest, that doesn't happen all the time. That doesn't happen in too many places, and it showed a level of engagement and, and um, a lack of of patience and acceptance here that I think fans sometimes are called on to show, mm-hmm. and that was unusual enough and worth remembering. But I hope it's considered to be a comprehensive list. There's lots of good stuff in there. Make sure you give it a read if you haven't read it already. Uh, thanks for listening to it as always and we'll talk to you guys soon